But I did look at the deepest part of the Indian Ocean is like seven kilometers deep. Yeah, that's right. So you're going to yeah. just be floating with seven kilometers of, of darkness underneath you, uh, yeah. cleaning the bottom of your boat. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. Yeah. So look, I think the first thing on that is just that is to be is to go is to be as prepared as I possibly can be and to have logical sets of spares for things that, that may be required if they go wrong. Because calling for help in the middle of an ocean is literally the last thing you want to be doing. Yeah. And, and good weather forecasts, then typically you can avoid the, the worst weather. Um, but I, you know, my expectation is that at some point or other I'm going to be in, in storm force conditions. So yeah, you know, we can expect 10 meter plus waves, um, you know, big swells, big waves. Um, I'm hoping to avoid capsize, but the boat is designed to self-ride. Welcome back to the Strength Institute podcast, everybody. Today, we have a very interesting podcast and a very interesting guest. We have Rob Barton, and he is planning on rowing from mainland Australia all the way to mainland Africa in an open sea rowing boat. So we'll get straight into it. Very excited for this one. Uh, Rob, thank you for coming onto the podcast. Well, thank you very much for the invite. Yeah. Um, I guess I just want to start right at the start. What is this project? What's it all about? Um, has it been done before? Give us a little bit of information. Yeah, okay. So, um, well, first of all, it's never been done before. There have been seven solo crossings of the Indian Ocean, all of them ending up in uh, Mauritius, Reunion, um, the Seychelles, and Madagascar. But nobody yet has rode nonstop to mainland Africa. Okay. So yeah, so it's going to be a first. Oh, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah very. And yeah. Um, so, so that sort of says, you know, you know, what you're planning on doing. It's the first time, only seven, seven ever, uh, and, but not the full coast to, to, to mainland. Seven ever solo crossings. One person stopped in Madagascar and then the next year rode on to uh, Mozambique. Okay. Um, but nobody has ever gone nonstop to mainland Africa. And do you know from these seven that have happened before, have they all been solo people? Have they been teams? How's that worked out? Yeah, sorry, that's seven solos. Seven there, solos. There, there have been, a, I don't know how many, but there have been a number of other crossings. I think it's about, it might be 40-odd. Okay. Um, in pairs, quads. Right, but in terms solo. of individuals, just the seven and not to mainland Africa. That's right. Okay, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, um, you know, your business, so people get an idea about who you are. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, well, I guess start with, um, I am 58, 59 this, 59 this year. 59 yeah, this yeah, November. Yeah, I checked this yeah, before you came yeah, on. Yeah. Right, yeah. So, um, so no longer a spring chicken, but uh, um, so yeah, look, I, I, I've only really sort of, I mean, I've been sailing um, all my life. I've, you know, I've come from a sailing family. Um, I've always been sort of at home on the ocean, um, but rowing for me is new. Um, but and uh, you know, I moved to Australia from from the UK about ten years ago. Um, joined the surf club when I got here. Um, initially, just doing water safety with the kids, and uh, and then and then um, when they got a bit older, then I I um, moved into part, a bit of participation. So I've been doing surf ski paddling now for the last five years or so, and uh, and board paddling. Just recently competed at the Masters, uh, right? Masters for for Mullaloo Surf Life Saving Club, which you are um, wearing the shirt of today. I am, yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I didn't do very well this year. I was a bit disappointed, to be honest. But that could be something to do with carrying an extra twenty odd kilos. Well, that might be my but, uh, fault, but but <laughs> yeah. but we'll talk about that a little bit later in the podcast. Okay. Um, so, all right. So, what? Why? I guess the, the big question is why did you decide to? What's the the cause of this? Like, why are you rowing from Australia? all the way to Africa. Now, I've read the pamphlet, so I know why, but the people listening mm. might not know why. Okay, so 
when when I first looked, when I well, basically, I was, I was looking to do some kind of adventure. I didn't know what, and I went down some rabbit hole on YouTube, as you do. You know, I come from a sailing family. My grandpa he crossed the Atlantic back in 1950 in a little 25 foot boat. My dad sailed the um, did a, a Pacific crossing in a in a sailing canoe, um, and then he sailed around the world with with, with my mum. Sort of spent years doing that. So, so I come from a sailing family, and I and I was looking for something to do, but sailing wasn't really ticking the boxes because, kind of family-wise, it had been done before. And and I went down this uh, rabbit hole on YouTube, and came across this young lady, Sarah Uton, who crossed to Mauritius when she was only twenty-four back. I think it was in two thousand and seven. And initially, I thought that's it. That's what I want to do. And um, and that and I and I started investigating. And the more I looked into it, um, I, I basically discovered that. No, at that point that nobody had actually been all the way to mainland Africa. So I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I might as well do something that no one's let's, done before. Let's step it up a notch. Yeah. 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 Let's go for, the, go for the full Monty, as they say. Right. Yeah. But there is a cause behind it as well. There, there is. That, that's right. And, I mean, in, it, this was probably about three years ago I decided to do this. Um, but then two years ago, almost almost to the day, um, my, my daughter Jess, um, she – unknown to me I mean I I'm, feel I'm quite close to Jess um, but un, un, unknown to me she was actually suffering from from depression um, and she attempted to take her own life um, and I'm obviously you know, very pleased to say that she wasn't successful in that um, but as but I guess off the back of that um, I, I, I realized that there was very little um, that I knew about mental health um, and Jess has really sort of been a helped me learn about mental health issues and, and I've become better educated. And in part of that journey, I came across a charity, Zero to Hero. Um, and Zero to Hero do, uh, they provide education, in, they go into schools, um, and they provide lots of, lots of mental health education to kids, adolescents, uh, teenagers. Um, and, you know, their focus is really on prevention. And I just really sort of clicked with that charity and their cause and thought, what a wonderful, what a thing to do it for. So, yeah, so I'm looking to raise $300,000 for Zero to Hero as part of this uh, this row. So a long way to go. I'm up to about 5000 at the moment. So, yeah, so fairly long way to go. Right. But definitely for a good cause. And I think yeah. particularly in today's landscape, lots of mental health issues floating around. Yeah. So obviously an organization that's, you know, taking a serious look at how to prevent um, especially, you know, is it for everyone or for youth primarily going into schools? Yeah, no, it's for it's for youth. Yeah. So, so teenagers and well, I think actually they do pre-teenagers as well. I think they go into primary schools as well. Yeah. But the main focus is around teenagers. Yeah. And teenagers are not good at talking to parents, as anyone with teenagers will know. Um, and uh, you know, even even when you're close to your kids, and I and I thought I was really close to Jess, and and um, but she just, you know, kids don't really, uh, particularly if they're suffering from depression. Uh, which I didn't even recognise. You know, she was always very cheerful on the outside. You always ask her how she was. It was always, you know, she was very smiley. Um, you know, just a lovely girl. Um, and I just didn't recognise the the signs. Yeah. Um, and um, and but but kids do talk more to their friends. And this and zero to hero is more about education around um, helping kids to um, talk to other kids and you know look for signs if you like and just to be more aware. Um, and also for those that are suffering, just to help them feel comfortable bringing it out into the open. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, I, I've, I have to say I was fairly dismissive of people with mental health issues prior to my experience, um, which 
it's not good. Um, but I just, you know, I just really didn't have any experience of it, and I wasn't very sympathetic to it at all. Um, and I've certainly learned a lot in the last couple of years, and have a much better understanding. So um, definitely a good cause. Um, I think plenty of people can be right on board with that. And I will, um, in the description of this video, um, if you're watching on YouTube uh, or on Facebook, I'll put a, a link to the to the, the fundraising page for Fantastic. that. Um, I'll also have some details um, of, of Rob's on there as well, because I think he is looking for personal sponsors for the actual boat. And we'll, we'll tuck into the sponsorship in a little bit as well. Sure. Um, and and I believe your business is doing a fair bit of the of the the backing of this at the moment. It is at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I guess we'll be filling the gap. So you know, I'm really looking for for as much sponsorship as I possibly can. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, Strawberry Finance. I'm, I'm a mortgage broker. Um, Strawberry Finance is my business. Um. And um. Yeah. One of the benefits, I guess, of being a business owner is that you can look to the business to fill any any sponsorship gaps. Yeah. Um. And you know, and hopefully we'll, we'll generate some businesses from it as, as a result of that as well yeah, and uh, help to pay for the sponsorship. Yeah. Um, I get a question. Um, why, why the, the, the row, what stood out about that? Because you said you, your backgrounds in, in surf ski or in more recent years, skiing mm. and paddling. Um, so, so why did you decide to pick something that you hadn't had that experience in, in terms of rowing? Um, you know, you have experience on the ocean as a sailor, um, was it just the fact that no one had done it before? Had other things crossed your mind? Like, you know, uh, something that was more local that was easier to sort of uh, to plan for logistically, you know, surf skiing up and around the coast of Australia or cycling around Australia, something like that. What, what, what stood out about, um, about rowing across the Indian Ocean? Well, I suppose the first thing was that it wasn't sailing. So I was looking to do something that, that wasn't sailing, which is sort of where the family history is, if you like. Um, and then it was a case of, well, what, what else is there that is practical? Now, people have developed, you know, these kind of surf ski, uh, these kind of surf ski ocean going, um, yeah, I mean, giant surf skis, basically. Um, but that it just didn't have the same appeal to me. Surf ski paddling for me is all about the performance of the boat. Um, you know, and they are the the, the, the um, downwinders and um, surf spec surf skis. They're they're, they're performance boats, um, and to get in some old tub and paddle a ocean going surf ski at some horrible speed just didn't appeal to me at all. Um, whereas rowing is, uh, I don't know. I mean, I know there are performance rowings, but I've never done that. So for me, it was a case of finding something that that I was comfortable in and an, an ocean rowing boat. Um, just struck me as being a good good vessel to go in. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So so talking about uh, the boat and sort of the logistics behind all of this, mm. um, obviously it's not as simple as just, you know, pointing it towards Africa, you know, right out down here at, at Malua Ocean Reef Marina or, or Hillary's Marina. Um, you're actually working with UWA in terms of finding a good launch location a bit further north um, in terms of looking at winds and currents about an ideal time to launch. So can we talk a little bit about the logistics, um, I guess, about launching winds, currents, um, sort of the time frame that you're looking at being at sea for? Mm. So, well, the first thing is, is um, UWA been absolutely fantastic in, in helping with some data modeling. Um, so they have um, looked at the actual weather uh, as it has happened over the last 20 years, um, and they've built a data model based on um, looking at best departure points, um, potential arrival points, um, and then and, and then what they'll be doing is sort of plugging in the, the weather forecast sort of as it happens into that data model 
to help us work out basically the best route, whether I should be, you know, where I should be rowing to stay in the right weather conditions. So that kind of uh, input will be invaluable. Absolutely. And is that sort of live information that they'll be feeding you as you're um, at sea? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, so initially, is the you know the whole model will be based on you know theoretical best time to go and, and so on. Yeah. But then then we'll to pick up the forecasts and plug that in as well. And you had mentioned that it was going to be sort of further up north, the launching point. Have they sort of pinned in, you know pin, pinned a rough idea about where you'll be launching your boat from? Yeah. So they they've actually come up with. Um, with some optimal departure times based on different departure points. So we've looked at um, departing from, um, from from here, basically, so from, from um, Ocean Reef, um, as well as Geraldton, Carnarvon, um, Calbarry. So they've, they've sort of plugged in a whole load of different departure points and then worked out um, arrival times at the other end. And, and, and basically, the further north you, you go, the, the, well, within reason, um, the quicker it is to get there. Yeah. Um, so, but that said, you've then got the logistics of driving to wherever it is you depart from and also whether or not there's any interest from sponsors, you know, so for, so for me, the big focus is sort of, um, supporting the sponsors. So any, any, any sponsors that really want me to leave from further South, because it might be easier for media coverage, um, more interest for, in, in that respect, then obviously I'm happy to support that as well. Right. So you haven't, um, come to a, to a solid agreement on where the, where the launch is going to happen from? No, not yet. No. Open, open but to it, negotiations. Yeah, that's right. But I, but I think it's, at the moment, it's most likely to be Geraldton. Okay. And in, in terms of rowing, sort of that sort of distance, um, again, I'm not familiar with sort of the wave patterns and, and the currents and sort of the weather out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Um, is it sort of like, a, is it a calmish ocean? Is it, is it high seas? Like, what are you going to be dealing with out there? Yeah, look, I mean, when you spend, and this, this is going to be best part of a five, six, possibly even a seven month crossing. Um, I mean, I'm hoping it will be five months, um, favorable winds. Um, but when you're at sea for that length of time, staying out of storms is going to be virtually impossible. Um, you know, with a faster boat then and, and good weather forecast, then typically you can avoid the, the worst weather. Um, but I'm, you know, my expectation is that at some point or other, I'm going to be in, in storm force conditions. So yeah, you know, we can expect 10 meter plus waves, um, you know, big swells, big waves. Um, I'm hoping to avoid capsize, but the boat is designed to self-right. Um, and um, yeah, you know, taking Again, if you do capsize, then that's the time that people typically break oars. Uh, I'll be taking spares. Yes, yeah, no, great. Um, in terms of the boat, can you talk a little bit about what? And I'll put up a little picture of 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 the boat or of of a open sea rowing boat, so people get an idea about um, what we're talking about. Um, what what sort of design elements does it have? You know, there's going to be a cabin on one or sort of either end, but there's one main cabin, which you'll be in. Mm. Um, you have a lot of storage for your food because we're, we're going to get into the, sort of the logistics of the food and everything um, in a second. Um, there's solar, there's desalination for fresh drinking water. So so run us through what the boat um, what the boat is actually like and what it's all about. Yeah, sure. So the, so the boat's about 20 feet long, just over 20 foot, um, which is close to seven meters. Um, it's got a very small cabin aft, which is um, really just sort of, Got the um, st- uh, the steering position in it, um, so yeah, so there's not much in there. A little bit of storage, um, but but not very much. The main cabin is forward, and that's where I'll be sleeping. So I can shut the hatch there, um, and you know, basically, that's where I'll be going if there's storm force conditions and staying out of the weather. And then there's a big rowing deck in the middle. Now this boat was actually designed for two people to row, um, but because of the length of the journey I'm going on, I need a, 
a boat of this size to carry all the all the food and, and so on. Um, inside that forward cabin, um, I've got uh, I've got a, a water maker, so a desalination plant which which works on on reverse osmosis. So that'll make about twenty liters an hour. And that's um, solar powered. That's solar powered. That's right. Yeah. Um, now I've also got if the batteries and electrics go, I've got a hand powered one as well, which will make about five liters an hour. And I'll be drinking best part of 10 litres a day. So that's two hours of pumping yep. uh, manually. So I'm really hoping not to use the uh, the, the manual one. And, and fingers crossed the solar panels and the, the two batteries keep me going. 100%. Yep. Um, with the food, so you, you have mentioned this could take anywhere between you know four or five, even up to six, potentially even seven months at sea. Mm. So food, obviously... You need to be able to store it. It needs to be an appropriate size. You know, yeah, it's a 20-foot, almost 7-meter-long boat, but six months of food is a lot of food. And for those sort of uh, listening or watching, it's not just your standard three meals a day, guys. It's not your standard 2,000 calories a day. How many calories are you going to be eating per day? How much food have you got stored uh, for this trip? Yeah, so it's all dehydrated food first off. Um, and there's about uh, 4,000 calories, 4,500 calories of normal type, well, I say normal, but, you know, meals, and then another 1,500 calories a day of snacks. So 6,000 calories a day. Yeah. And that gives you a little bit of leeway if you think that the, the quest is going to take a little bit longer, you can sort of start to ration that out a little bit. That's right, because I'm taking 180 days worth of food. Yeah. Um, so if I can, if it starts looking like it's going to take me longer, um, then, yeah, I can start rationing of myself towards the for the last month or so. Right. So so aiming for 6,000 calories a day, mm. um, this is a lot, a lot of calories. It is. And yeah. and for someone like yourself that has a background in, let's say, like like fitness, like fitness, like when you, you compete, it's in surf ski, you have to be active and fit and not carry a lot of extra weight. Mm -hmm. When you first walked into the gym, you were about 75, 76 kilos. Yep. And um, yep. and I think we both came to the agreement that you said, yeah, you're going to be increasing your weight. And I was throwing out some numbers that you weren't particularly happy with. That's right. <laughs> I was yeah. saying, you know, 90. There's no way I'm going to get to 90. Now you're at 95 kilos. I'm at 97. 97. That's what yeah. I'm talking about, Rob. Yeah. All right. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. With the goal of going over 100 right. kilos before before you leave. So, so yeah. you know, you're basically taking a third of your body weight, of your original body weight, and adding it to yourself, yeah. which is super important because, you know, you need to be eating – six odd thousand calories per day mm. um and you figure that out because you're going to be rowing for about 10 hours per day um right? or more even well as a 15 hour rowing window so you know the other time i'll be sleeping yeah um so for those 15 obviously you need timed out time out to run water makers and do maintenance and and uh, and eat yeah um but but yeah so if I can get 12 hours rowing a day in, that's really my target. Right, 12 hours a day. So 12 hours a day, 6,000 calories. You know, So you've been eating a lot of calories to try to increase your weight. Mm. And um, I remember when we were first talking about this about six months ago, roughly, uh, four or four months ago. It's October, November time, yeah. Yeah, November yeah. time, yeah. Um, so when you first came in and you were in your sort of mid to high 70s, um, and we're looking at, at, at increasing the calories there. Mm. Um, that was sort of a hard task just in itself because you're not used to eating that sort of food. So, yeah. so what's your diet been like recently? Um, and how have you found the weight gain? Um, mm. How do you feel physically? And you know, how have you felt like your body has handled adding all this extra weight? I, to be honest, I've struggled. Um, I, I, I'm not comfortable eating that much and carrying this extra weight. I'm also finding quite hard. I'm, I'm actually finding that. You know, I'm out of breath just going for a walk. 
um, which I guess makes sense. You know, if you, if, if my previous weight, if I was carrying around 20 kilo weights all the time everywhere I went, I would be out of breath. I'd be out of breath. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it does. It, it is a, it's a bit more of a challenge. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I don't feel, it doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me. I don't feel good. Um, and I think my, yeah, I'd say my performance is not as, as good as it was. Um, but then I've got, I've, you know, I've got certainly got the stamina. I've been out for a few couple of 12 hour rows. Um, I probably could not have done that before. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, it's great having those reserves and I'm certainly going to need them. Yeah. And how many calories are you having per day at the moment to, to build weight? Cause obviously you're not mm. burning the same number of calories now with your training, um, as you will be when you're actually out there. So you haven't needed yeah. to have 6,000 a day. No. How many calories have you been having per day? So I've been having about four to four and a half thousand calories a day. Yeah. Um, and I'm doing that with an extra two to three liters of milk every day. Yes. Yeah. We're getting close to the GOMED, so, a gallon of milk per day, right? It's yeah, 3.7 liters per day would be GOMED. Is that right? Yeah. Well, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be achieving that soon. Yeah. Because yeah, I'm not far off that. Full now. fat milk, of course, right? Of course. Yes. Yeah. It has to yeah, be yeah. full fat milk. Yeah. And often mixed with a protein shake yeah. or a smoothie or something else in it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, Fantastic. It's hard. Um, preparation. I guess we're just talking about preparation a little bit in terms of your, your eating. Um, and we talked about your body weight starting at 75, working your way up. You're in the mid to high 90s now, um, ideally being in, in, you know, 100, calorie, uh, 100 kilos plus by the time you launch. Um, just because you know, if you struggle to get 6,000 calories in per day and the weight comes down or if you have to ration it out, you actually have tissue there to metabolize, which is really important. Mm. And um, yeah. Yeah, and I know you, were, you when you first came in and said, you know, can we do it with just muscle, perhaps? And I'd be like, Rob, even if we put you on a high dose of steroids, you're not going to put on 25 kilos of muscle in, in four to six months. It's impossible. Not even a 30-year-old getting pumped full of all stuff could do that. So I said, there's going to be fat content as well as the muscle mass that goes on. Mm. Um, but to be honest, it doesn't look like you've not blown out into a sumo, Rob. Like Rob's been training here uh, at the gym. He's doing, doing some, some weights at home as well in addition to his um, conditioning work. Um, and the strength level has actually gone up quite a lot, um, which is great to see. I know you said that at the start you're a little bit almost not self-conscious, but you could definitely aware of the extra fat that was getting stored around the, the tummy. Mm. Um, but when we're lifting weights and you see those numbers increasing, like do you see the value um, that that strength training has given you um, before this um, adventure? Yeah, 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 I do, and it's and it's filled out. I mean, it's not just all gone on the gut. I'm no, of course. So you know, I filled out pretty much all over. Um, fat face, fat. <laughs> hardly, hardly. People watching here are gonna be like, he's not got a fat face. <laughs> well, it's going on all over. Let's put it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So lots of food. You know, we're hitting the weights. You're trying to put on that lean mass. Um, what about sort of conditioning? So what have you been doing? Because again, with winds and, 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 and currents, you can't just jump into the, the sea boat and just take off all day, every day. Mm. And it has to be the sort of right conditions for it. So what have you been supplementing into your conditioning training to sort of prepare yourself for, you know, being active for these long periods of time? Yeah. So through the winter, I was doing a lot of uh, rowing on the, on the erg. So, so indoor rowing, um, which was, you know, through, so through, so yeah, typically two to four hour sessions. Um, I was doing some rowing and I've got an ocean, I've got a, a coastal rowing boat. So I was doing some training in that sort of two to four hour sessions in that at the weekend. Yeah. Um, and now basically through the, through the summer, I've, I've pretty much dropped the rowing, uh, because I've been doing too much surf ski paddling and yeah, board paddling and, and yeah, which is really what I enjoy. That's much more of my passion, I would say. Um, and I, and I managed to get into some long rowing trips as well. So, yeah. so, so yeah, a few long rows. 
So with the boat, um, you know, we touched on it has some solar that runs sort of, you know, desal. What sort of things are you taking uh, with yourself to be in contact with the, you know, the UWA crew to help with course correction? You know, can people sort of track your progress along the way? Um, You know, what are sort of like the, apart from, you know, your food and, and water, what are some of the vital things that you're going to be taking along with you on this trip? Yeah, so SATCOMs um, I will have. At the moment, we're still um, trying to identify a suitable sponsor for that. So we so that's a little bit open. Um, if I don't get sponsorship for the SATCOMs, then I'll be taking, you know, the base entry level um, of SATCOMs that you can get, which is, you know, so the least expensive option. But that will restrict what I can send back by way of, um, you know, videos and, and, um, and just sort of updates generally. Um, but I will at least be able to have daily, you know, brief daily calls and text messaging uh, with my with with support. So, so I've got a, an operations manager, yep. um, Neil, who has been um, helping me throughout, um, and will be helping me and will be my daily point of contact whilst I'm at sea. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, what about are you able to sort of contact your family as well, or are you just going to be contacting? Um, sort of UWA and, and your, your manager here, Neil? Yeah, well, it, again, it depends on the level of support that I get on the on the sponsorship side. Right. So, you know... Is it quite expensive for, for SAT, SAT communications? Yeah, SATCOMs are just ferociously expensive. Right. So, you know, the very basic level is you know, a couple hundred bucks a month for something that doesn't even get... Well, it's like your dial-up internet was 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, yeah, so frighteningly slow. Um, you know, something that is not even approaching NBN speed, but something that's getting close to perhaps what it was 10 years ago is, is you know, a couple of thousand bucks a month. So, so it, yeah, SATCOMS is not cheap. Right, fair enough. Yeah. Um, what about in terms of sort of uh, first aid equipment um, are you taking out on the boat with you? So hmm. um, even though you've been a sailor, um, you know, it might be different from being on a big boat, being in a smaller craft, like do you take seasickness stuff? Do you take um, antibiotics in case you get an infected tooth or something you know what sort of yeah. preparations are you taking in, in in that regard um well so first of all just to be prepared before i go so you know i went to the dentist a couple of weeks ago get a checkup i'm back in next week to get a get a filling done before i go so you know ideally be 100 percent before i leave but then if the worst does happen whilst i'm out there then yes absolutely i will you know taking a stapler to patch myself up <laughs> if i cut myself and you know all those sort of first aid kits plus antibiotics um and and then of course there's the um, contact back to back to shore. So yeah, so what, once once I'm at sea, then the the Royal Flying Doctor Service they provide a telephone support for mariners. Um, so I'd be you know, calling them in the in the worst case to to get advice as to which of the antibiotics that I should take for whatever ailment I might be struggling from at that particular time. Yeah. But um, hopefully I'll have all of those those um, all of that medication and never need to use it. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of unforeseen things, right? We just Mm. touched on sort of illness that could happen. Um, You know, you have uh, storms. You said yourself you might be going into, um, you know, some storms at certain points. Um, uh, Just breakdowns in general, you know, you have Mm. rigors and all sorts of issues that that might happen. Um, What is the protocol for... um, getting help because you don't have a support vessel next to you per se like there's no one following you you're out there by yourself um what sort of timeline does it take for someone to get to you if you were to set off some sort of distress beacon how does a distress beacon work you know how does how does that all um yeah so look i think the first thing on that is just that you know is to be 
is to go as, is to be as prepared as I possibly can be, and to have logical sets of spares for things that that may be required if they go wrong. Because calling for help in the middle of an ocean is literally the last thing you want to be doing. Yes, um, you, know, you have to be self self reliant. Um, so it's it, it's thinking of all the things that could possibly go wrong, and then trying to to be prepared for those before you leave leave shore. Um, but if you have to, um, yeah, then then I take a, an EPA, which is an electronic um, positioning indicating radio beacon, um, which will transmit back to a, a central station um, that there is an emergency, and then they, then that central station will divert whatever the closest appropriate ship is or vessel to my to my position to come and offer assistance. Right, and are you taking um, like some sort of inflatable craft if there was you know uh, worst case scenario a sinkage of the of the actual rowing boat yep yep, yep. so I'll, I'll be taking a life raft as well um and you know survival suit and you know so all, all sorts of safety kit as well but I, I look and the other thing as well is is um you know the most likely disaster for people for solo people at sea is uh, is falling over and basically losing their craft so if you go overboard so, so basically, the, the, the number one rule for any solo um, sailor or rower or whatever they are is to be permanently attached to their vessel. So, you know, it's always some wearing, sort of tether, always wearing safety harnesses right. or a tether of some sort. Um, so that makes sense. So, if you were to fall off yeah. and it starts to drift away and you can't catch up to it, to yeah, uh, right. Yeah, once you're over the side, if there's the remotest bit of wind, then yeah. the boat will move faster okay. than you can swim. Yeah, because so, yeah. um, you had talked about it to me before in the gym that there is a. Um, uh, you call it, is it a sea anchor that the parachute type of mm, that's right. apparatus? So, so how uh, how does that work? So, in the event of a storm, if if the if, if you're starting to get into waves that are that are breaking, um, the, the the key thing with big waves, I mean, if it's going in the right direction, it's great. You can be surfing down them and really having a lot of fun. But but <laughs> if you go if you're going so fast down a wave and you then go sideways because you're losing control of the vessel, if it's if the waves are that steep. Then you go sideways onto the wave, which is basically when you're broaching, and the wave can then roll you over and capsize. And that's when you do a lot of damage. If you're on deck, you can damage yourself as well, um, you know, getting knocked around on the boat. So to avoid that, um, when, the, when the sea conditions look like they're getting that kind of bad, then you would chuck out a sea anchor. And that, as you, as you say, is a, is a nine-foot parachute that opens up under the water. Um, 100 meters of, of nylon line, so a nice bit of, not quite a bungee, but there's a good bit of stretch in nylon, um, and then that will hold the boat nose, um, you know, bow into into the big waves, and uh, and then you won't be going sideways. So that's the best way to sort of weather out a big storm is to sit um, nose into it. Right. Yeah. Um, what about mental preparation? So um, you know you're going to be at sea by yourself for months on end. Um, have you are, are you are you good by yourself? Have you taken a trip camping for two weeks out in some place remote to sort of to 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 get used to the the idea that no one's around? Um, like, how do you think you'll cope mentally not having someone sort of there or be around or to be able to just reach out and talk to someone? Um, if you wanted to, yeah, I mean that's a really good question, and I think um, I mean I am pretty good on my own, um, and I think. That sort of mental preparation is something that really that I've been going through, I'd say, for the last couple of years since I've sort of decided to embark on this journey. It's, you know, I often think about 
that time on my own, how I'll manage it, what I'll do. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'm comfortable. You know, the times that, that I've been out in the ocean on my – I do a lot of solo, um, even surf ski paddling, which I know is only for a few hours, but it, it's still – you know, there's nothing else around. And, and I, I actually find being on the ocean is a real sort of place of peace and tranquility for me, um, even when it's blowing a hoolie. Um, but I just love it. Um, so I don't I don't think I'm going to have any problems there. And, and, you know, worst case disaster, I can always pick up the phone and have a chat with somebody. So yeah. it's not, you know, it's not isolation like it used to be. No, I think we were talking about um, you are going to get some pretty spectacular sort of sunrise and sunset, some some good views out there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's one of the things I'm looking forward to most. Actually, probably the night, the, the, you know, nighttime, because the the stars when you're when there is no light pollution when you're on the ocean, particularly on a calm calm day and there's you know, clear skies, it is just incredible out there. And then and then as you say, sunrises, sunsets, it's it's definitely the best part of the day. Yeah, are you going to be taking um, taking like a camera along so you can sort of document some of this? Are you doing a journal like? I mean, because it's one thing to, to mm. do it and to remember it, but are you going to sort of document this for yourself so you can show your family when you get back some of the things that you saw out there? Well, I'll be taking an iPhone. Cameras on those are pretty good. Yeah, pretty days. good. Yeah, but but I won't be taking anything more than that. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. What, what about sort of like, are you going to do sort of like some journaling um, like or voice yeah. memos or, or writing stuff down as you go? Yeah, I'm, I'm, look, I'm hoping to do sort of a daily update, which I'll sort of post back to or send back to the, the kids helping me with the social media side. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so they've set up a TikTok page for me and an Instagram page. Again, we'll, we'll, we'll link all these pages yeah, in great. the description here so, <laughs> so people can follow so, along. So, you know, in, recent, in the last couple of weeks, I've got a bit more active on that. So I've started to start posting a few more videos. Um, so yeah, so I'll get I'll, I'll um, yeah I'll be trying to do something if, certainly every week if not every day. But yeah. again, that in large part depends on the the satellite package that I'm able to put in place. Sure. Mm. Okay. Um, all right. So fast forwarding four to seven months from mm. now, right? Yeah. There's there's two options, two outcomes yep. basically, right? One is you make it to mainland Africa. Yep. One is we don't make it to mainland Africa for whatever reason. Mm. You know? Um. What comes next? If there is some sort of um, equipment failure early on, you know, do we come back, fix, reset, go again? If you make it three, four months in, you know, 80% of the way and something happens, is it close enough? I probably could have made it. It's not my, you know, out of my, you know, workshop in terms of being able to, to fix this. You know, I had to get brought back in. If you make it all the way there, are you planning? Because now you have some, you have some, notoriety behind your name are we planning on doing another one so so touch i guess could you touch on sort of the different options uh and, and what, what what happens next after this yeah no so a, some good points there i mean I, look of the seven people that have done the solo crossing so far um i think i'm right in saying there have been 14 attempts and seven successes okay so you know 50 percent success rate but of those seven successes i think i'm right in saying that four of those people had a failed attempt before they succeeded I think, and then the other three i think tried and and didn't didn't have another go um so you know so if i so if i start and i don't know bad weather initial problems whatever it is and i have to come back um absolutely i'll be looking to go again as quickly as i can you know ideally this year um you know i mean sarah Rutten, who successfully did this back in 2007 she had an initial attempt I think she got blown off course. She was out for 10 days, came back, um, and then left again, you know, a week or so later. 
So, so I don't, I wouldn't see that as a, as a failure. Of course. Um, you know, she made it to the end. Um, and that's what I hope to do. So, but if I have a, you know, a full start initially, well, so be it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm not giving up. No. And even, well, let's say you get four and a half months in and something breaks, mm. same thing. We, we come back, we, we get, make the fixes and the changes and do the whole thing again. If you're getting 80, 85% of the way through. If, I, if, if I'm that far in, there's no coming back. It's then a case of stopping at, you know, potentially having to stop at Madagascar um, or Mauritius or you know, some other island along sure. the way. Um, and whilst it would be disappointing not to make it all the way to Africa, making it to Madagascar, I would see as still a success. No small feat. I've still crossed the Indian Ocean. <laughs> 100%. Um, and then on the other scenario where you make it to mainland Africa, that's the mm. goal. You get yep. there. Six months down the track, nice beard. Are you taking a razor with you? Or are you yeah. going to just grow the beard out? I'm just going to... Bit of sun protection. Look, I grow a rubbish beard. I've got really fine hair, but we'll give it a bash. We'll yeah, see how it goes. I think so. Be a wispy at something least, or At other. least <laughs> yeah. get a nice cracking mustache, you know? Yeah. Um, you make it there six months later. Uh, what happens? Now you have that notoriety to your name. You know, you've done it. You know, it's a bit of clout. So uh, is that something that you want to use as momentum for you know, to build this fund, uh, ongoing fundraiser or is it sort of the one and done in your head? I don't know. I think is the honest answer. Part of me thinks I'd really like to go and do the Pacific next. Um, but part of me thinks that maybe once I've done this, I'll never want to do it again. Yep. <laughs> but um, but I would just have to wait and see. I'm, I'm really open to that. I mean, certainly I think this would be a fantastic um, platform then to you know, I think I think there's been a real struggle getting sponsorship for this event and you know part of that is because I'm unknown I'm untested I'm untried you know people don't necessarily have any faith or confidence in my ability to, to see it through and sponsors are naturally wary um, but I think if I you know if I succeed in doing this or maybe I should say when I succeed in doing this that's the attitude um, then uh, then then you know then getting sponsors for a for a next endeavor I think would be much easier mm. Um, but I don't know whether or not I want to do it again. So right. We just have to wait and see. Okay. Yeah. Um, Indian Ocean. Now, mm. I, like everyone, enjoy a good David Attenborough documentary, right? Mm. And there are some parts of the sea that for giant areas have very, very little sea life. Mm. Um, giant, just empty vastness of, of ocean. When I was trying to do a little bit of Googling on the Indian Ocean, it didn't seem like there was... It seemed like there was more life in the Indian Ocean. So, do you know? Are there going to be whales out there? Some giant sharks? Like, what, what are we? What are we expecting to see wildlife-wise? Well, I mean, look, from what I've read, um, uh, there, there is there's a fair bit, you know, either end at close to the coastline, but the bit in the middle, um, I think there is a migratory route for for sharks. Um, but 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 I don't know if they're just that much. They, they go at a much deeper level. But from what I've heard, people don't see a lot once they get past the continental shelf and same at the arrival point. So they don't see a lot in the middle. Yeah. Um, whereas Atlantic Ocean, people see, you know, loads of dolphins, whales, all sorts along the way. Right. Um, but so yeah. the Indian Ocean a bit more relaxed in the middle. Yeah, I think so. To the point where if you were feeling real hot, you'd jump overboard, have a quick wash and jump back in or? Uh, well, you have to. Yeah. Not, not so, well, certainly to have a wash every now and again, but, but you actually have to get into the water every three to seven days, depending on how much is growing on the bottom of the boat. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah, so I'll be in, in to give it a quick scrub. Um, 
and then get out again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I don't know along the route that you were taking, but I did look at the deepest part of the Indian Ocean is like seven kilometers deep. Yeah, that's right. So you're going yeah. to just be floating with seven kilometers of, of darkness underneath you, uh, yeah. cleaning the bottom of your boat. Yeah. That's absolutely wild. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think you know, those first few times you jump in, it's a bit sort of, um, not sure about this. Yeah. But I think you just get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, one thing that I wanted to bring up with you, and I'm not sure if, if, if you've um, sort of have thought about this at all. Um, I've got a background in sort of competing through rugby and um, strongman and, and training a couple of high-level athletes here. And post-competition blues is a, is a real thing for people that compete at a high level. So you put so much time and effort into your preparation and your training and your eating and you're manipulating how your body looks and feels and you know, you're exhausted sometimes and, and there's financial strain and, and mental strain and all sorts of things. And then you do whatever it is that you're doing. You, you win the premiership or you go across and you come, you know, you podium or you win the Australia's strongest woman as in Megan's case, you know, when you finished it, um, there is a, um, there is definitely a lull. People can not so much get depressed, but really feel flat about mm. things. And I was thinking it's almost ironic because you're doing this as a, uh, you know, to raise funds for uh, a mental health sort of group. Um, and at the end of this, there might be some mental health implications, you know, so for yourself, are, are you aware of post-competition blues? Um, have you experienced it before? Um, is it something that you're worried about or, or that you're looked into sort of handling once you finish this um, event? Yeah, I, I think a big part of it is about what's next. So, so you know, I think I've got six months to be thinking about what's next. Um, I've got some ideas already. You know, I'm thinking of... of um, Know, scaling down business-wise, uh, work-wise, and, and and maybe trying to do... I used to do quite a lot of yacht deliveries in my youth, um, and I'm thinking maybe I'll start doing the odd yacht delivery now and again. But 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 I think having something to look forward to, some next step, maybe it'll be rowing the Pacific, I don't know. <laughs> that we'll wait and see. Um, but having some kind of follow-up plan to do something, I think, will help with that. But you're right, I have heard of these kind of things, particularly with, with rowers after spending so long at sea. Yeah. Yeah, it can be a bit of a downer. Right. Okay. Um, now, th there is one question. There's one question that I promised Adrian, our other coach here, that I would ask. Okay. And, and my dad said, phrase it as the astronaut question, because it is a common question for, for these sorts of things, is six months at sea, mm. toilet paper is bulky. Yeah. All right? Yeah. How do you, what are you wiping with? How are how you, you going to the bathroom six months at sea? You're not taking six months with the toilet paper with you. Yeah, funny enough, somebody asked that this morning, actually. It's the astronaut question. Look, it's a very yeah, common yeah. question for these sort of, yeah. you know, for astronauts and for open sea uh, yep. crosses. Yep. So, look, a bucket and chuck it is basically where it starts. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's, you know, hang over the side of the boat, have a quick wash. Yeah. Um, you know, wet wipes. Wet wipes. Um, biodegradable bamboo wet wipes. There you go. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, we don't want to so be. So environmentally pretty. conscious. Absolutely, yeah. For the astronaut question. Yeah, so, look, anything that goes over the side, it's got to be... Uh, biodegradable yeah um, but otherwise it's you know there's obviously huge mats of packaging for all the food that i'm taking which is just nuts but that'll all be going in a big in a big sack and i'll be bringing it home yeah perfect so, so that's great yeah. so so all, yeah. all the waste um not human waste all the mm. you know wrappers and, and physical waste yeah. in, in that regards is stored yeah. Yeah. um and brought back not just dumped over the side no fantastic no, no. So only the baby wipes <laughs> only the ba biodegradable <laughs> bamboo <laughs> baby wipes everyone right. yeah. there you go that yeah. answer to the astronaut question <laughs> yeah perfect okay. um is there anything that uh i've missed that you want to talk about while while you're here wow 
Um, and there is just so much. I guess there's always that plea to go out to any potential sponsors to, to reach out to me. There's still a chance to get your name on the boat. Yep. Um, come up with some cash. And of course, to anyone who'd like to donate to the charity, um, there's the link, as you say, on hopefully on this podcast. Yep. Um, so yeah, please, please jump on that. And, um, and, and, if, and for anyone who'd like to follow me, it's, uh, it's Rob's Row on Instagram and Facebook, and I think TikTok as well. Um, so yeah, jump on one of those channels and, and please follow. Perfect. So we're going to, we're going to, in the description, we're going to put the link to Rob's Row, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. We're going to put a link to Zero to Hero, which is the, um, which is the group that you're raising funds for. Yep. Um, and, and from this, and we'll also put, um, your email in case people want to get in touch with you, uh, for sponsorship options. Fantastic. Yeah. That, yep. that covers everything. Yep. Great. Perfect. Yep. Awesome. Well, I, I think it's exciting. It's definitely a big adventure to be uh, to be going on. Um, you know, a lot of preparation has gone in, which is which is great and, and necessary for such an adventure. Um, but I'm really excited to see how this all how this all pans out. I don't think we actually mentioned when you're when you're leaving. So sometime mm. in the next four to six weeks, potentially. Uh, yeah, probably probably five to seven weeks. Five to seven weeks. To, uh, yeah. So so certainly um, from about the 20th of April onwards. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So um, people can follow along, I guess, on uh, the Rob's Row Facebook page, Instagram, um, to get more information on when, when the takeoff date sort of gets closer. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Fantastic. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. Um, I hope that everyone enjoyed that. And, uh, you know, if you are interested to follow along, all those uh, uh, bits of information will be in our description. Um, but, yeah, I think it's great. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Trinity Institute podcast. Cheers, bro. Thank you very much. It's great. Thanks.